morning now. Justin. Tom. Frank. Plaid Lads. Tom, when are you bringing it back? We talked We've been about begging for it for, what is it, like three months now? <laughs> Maybe longer? It's like Coke classic. <laughs> um, how's it going, fellas? It's warm. It is warm. It is warm. Very hot out. We just had a little like flash thunderstorm here in South Philadelphia. I don't know if you guys hit with, got hit with that here in New Jersey. Hey, it hasn't reached us yet. Uh, 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 Thank you for the warning, Tom. Ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> News travels at the speed of weather. <laughs> okay. Justin, have you decompressed from the uh, Game of Thrones disappointment yet? Because um, yes. the the biggest hit with people that I have shown the podcast to was you getting extremely <laughs> mad. I'm but, not. I'm not mad. The script. Oh, good for you. You dumped on Tolkien. You fucking fat piece of shit. I'm, I didn't get mad. I'm fine. Everything's cool. You <laughs> fucking loser. Don't you fucking talk shit about Tolkien. I'm a cool cucumber. Fuck those guys, though. It's fucking bullshit. They fucking ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't like you had spent five years of your life (laughs) watching a television show and and gaining this emotional investment in it. Or was it six years, right? Six years. Yeah, for me, it was six years. That's the thing. Six years. Like, um... It's it's uh, you get angry about at art and then you get angry at yourself for getting angry at art and then you get sad <laughs> about your life. <laughs> it, well, it's very weird because Game of Thrones was this huge cultural footprint thing. Like it was all over the culture. It was a massive success and was, you know, one of the most watched shows on television. And now that it's over and it was disappointing, Nobody gives a fuck about it anymore. Like exactly, and that's the the thing that that was like. I had this thought uh, myself, but then uh, a lot of people wrote articles that Game of Thrones is the last show that we're all watching together. That's done. It's finished. Well, people said that after Breaking Bad and Mad Men, and that ended up not being true. I because think because Jenny- Game of Thrones was still on. Yeah, but. I don't know. I think there will be another thing, and we're going to be surprised by what it is, but there's going to be another thing. Because uh, there it, always has to be a thing. Is it Chernobyl? <laughs> it might be Chernobyl, but I haven't watched that yet. And it's only five episodes. It seems good. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty good, but I haven't watched it. Um, I just I just think that the world is now ready to fully um, uh, disengage from itself, and I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing i think there are a lot of bad things that come with it loss of community uh um i mean we still have i guess the super bowl and the oscars oh god award shows and major sporting events (laughs) so uh, a quick addendum to justin's uh hate rant 
in the last episode. Uh, so we were hanging with friend of the pod and friend of the podcasters, uh, Subo, Steve Subolesky. Uh, and uh, uh, Justin decided to show Subo the, this excerpt from the episode. So we listened to the full like eight and a half to ten minutes of Justin's <laughs> rant. Right. And we're like, yes, that was a long rant. And then Justin proceeded. <laughs> he kept going. IRL to rant for a further like 20 minutes. And I personally have had to listen to this rant in the past few months as the disappointment unfolded. All I'm saying is, uh, what oh, did John's parentage stop, have Justin. to do with anything? What did it have to do with any fucking thing? Him coming back from the dead. What did that have to do with anything? Nothing. Jesus. <laughs> they literally just like, things happened because they said they happened. And it meant nothing. And then the show just ended. Yeah. I mean, that's life. <laughs> you know. And now they go out shitting your pants and, uh, <laughs> calling your son your dead wife's name. <laughs> they're they're going to bring back. You, so this next Star Wars movie, the next J.J. movie uh, that's coming out in December, that is supposedly the end of the uh, nine film Skywalker saga. Mm. But I guarantee that these two Game of Thrones assholes are going to literally just bring back the Skywalker saga when they're given their new trilogy because they don't have any ideas. Yeah. So it's like the end of the Skywalker uh, saga, but Luke is already dead. Yeah. Well, yeah, Let's... but... Uh, I guess uh, Anakin... Kylo, Kylo Ren is technically a Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, and I... I I really truly don't care. <laughs> I do, uh, but I like I've read things that like it's called the rise of Skywalker, and Skywalker is like a new form of Jedi. You know what I mean? I mean I I care because I always talk shit on Star Wars for being like this big monocultural force for that is kind of stultifying and and it has this stranglehold on the entire culture. And then the reports come out about this fucking Disney World thing where you get to make your own lightsaber for $200. And I'm like, I'm going to spend a tiny fortune on making my own lightsaber. I know that I would if you gave me the option. Yeah. Of course I would. They have blue milk, guys. (laughs) They have blue milk. Of course I'm doing it. Yeah, it looks amazing. (laughs) I will become destitute. To go to this fucking stupid Star Wars theme park. <laughs> Not to jump ahead, but I'm jumping ahead. I've watched lots of television and stuff. The only world I truly want to be in is the world of Deadwood. Oh, yeah. Well, that is that is down to the show being really excellent with its production design oh, and yeah. like its hangout nature. Yeah. I would pay $200 to... <laughs> They <laughs> get a bottle of whiskey and shoot a man and do it. Have sex with a prostitute. That's a great deal. Cut that, cut that out. No, you no. We're leaving it in. That's, I don't think you have to pay two hundred dollars to do that stuff. <laughs> you can just do that stuff. <laughs> you just put a hat on. <laughs> like, 
put a, put a, put different a 10 hat gallon on. hat on and do it. Yeah. And yeah. also, you have to, we're jumping ahead a little bit more. You have to talk like Pee Wee Herman while you're doing it. <laughs> because that's what Brent Spiner was doing in this episode of Star Trek. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So what's in the news, fellers, smellers? What's in the news? Well, we've got a new Batman. You can uh, uh, send out the the white smoke. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, the fin- white smoke. We have a new Pope. We have a new Batman. Finally, after how could the world exist for two months without a Batman? <laughs> well, so originally this movie Shut was up, going man. to be... Uh, was going to star and be written by and directed by Ben Affleck. Mm -hmm. And then the directorial duties were taken over by a guy named Matt Reeves, who did the really good Planet of the Apes movies. Yes. The new ones. Um, And so they took the directing away from Affleck, but they were keeping the script. And they took the script away from Affleck. And so they were like, all right, Ben, you're starring in this movie directed by Matt Reeves, and you don't get to write it anymore. And he was like, okay, I'm fine with that. And then he went to rehab. (laughs) Then they fired him from being Batman because they are canceling and rebooting this entire universe except for basically Aquaman and Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. because those movies made ungodly amounts of money at the box office and the other movies in this series were huge flops. Uh, Not huge flops, but pretty. they lost a lot of money. Now I have not watched any of them except for Wonder Woman, <laughs> but I I like Aquaman. Aquaman rules. Does it? Yeah, it's really good. I, I Aquaman's li- kind of better than Black Panther. <laughs> um, I liked Ben Affleck as Batman, and I think the first five minutes of Batman v Superman is the, are great. Is the best Batman we've seen on film, in my opinion. Yeah, no, for sure. Um. How, so, however, for this new movie, they are going younger, and they cast somebody who started his career as kind of a joke, but has become an excellent actor in independent film, uh, Robert Pattinson. Yes. Uh, he was recently in the Claire Denis film High Life, which he is awesome in. Uh, last year, two years ago, he was in a great movie called Good Time. Uh, yeah, he's he was in an adaptation of Don DeLillo's, um, I think it was it Underworld? It was an adaptation of a Don DeLillo novel uh, several years ago that he was also excellent in. Uh, but he has become a very interesting actor, and so is his Twilight co-star, Kristen Stewart. Yeah, I was so, going to say, I mean, she's she's killing it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we already did one of the films that she's excellent in, and she's worked with that director, Olivier Asayas, a few times. Uh, yes. And that's, you know, this is kind of true of all of the sort of 2000s, kid franchise movie or like tween franchise mm. movies like all, all the harry potter kids are doing pretty well except I, for ron i don't think ron's yeah. been in anything yeah um i he was in a movie where he farted a lot right <laughs> no no that's no, no, uh that's harry potter that's harry potter i never liked oh. daniel radcliffe uh in the harry potter movies but he's he's doing interesting good shit Are you referring to swiss army shit. man yeah swiss army man's amazing it's a great. Wait, no, no, I wasn't talking about that movie. There's oh, a Ru- there was a Rupert Grit movie where he farted a lot. That was yeah, a- there definitely was Thunderpants. It was called Thunderpants. Jesus Christ! It's literally about how he farts a lot. Yeah. 
You know, like to have such a specific and absurd point of comparison between yourself and another actor and to still come out number two. Yes, to make the worst movie about how your character farts a lot. That poor guy. He was in the biggest movie franchise of all time, and he was the third liked. And in those films, I think he was the best actor. That's possible. I haven't rewatched them in a long time. I don't. I don't think either of the other kids uh, were good until after the movies. That's very well, possible. Well, yeah, um, uh, Emma Watson got good in the. Middle. I'm sure that they were not good when they were very little children. Yeah, because it's very rare for that to happen. Daniel Radcliffe was trash the whole time, though. Uh, a Frasier parallel. I hear he was drunk during much of the filming. He was. The last he was few films. through most of it, and the guy who got him sober was uh, Gary Oldman himself. Mm. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, other news. Do we have other news? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, in the world of music, uh, a couple, mm. a couple uh, announcements. So, one is that uh, Slater Kinney, uh, a great Riot Girl band from the Pacific Northwest, very famous. Uh, they went on hiatus in like two thousand five. For ten what? years, ten mystical years, and then they when Portlandia was made, and then they came back with No Cities to Love, and we're like, oh, Slater Kenny's back, fantastic. And then they were gone for four more years. <laughs> yeah. So after four more years of them being back, uh, a time about half as long as their hiatus, they're supposedly back again with another record, which. Uh, it's a little up in the air. There's been some confusion as to what the record's going to be called. There was one song released called Hurry Hurry Home? Hurry on Home? Hurry Home. Hurry on Home. Uh, with an interesting music video that takes place entirely on an iPhone screen where the lyrics are frantically texted and uh, various apps are opened to tell the story of life in the way we often see it, which is on our little device screens. Little uh, little black mirrors, if you will. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's so weird to me, by the way, that that video, is, because like I still so strongly associate Sleater Kinney with a very specific moment in time, mm. and that moment in time was like 25 years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's a little strange, like, Okay, like so, this record was is produced by Saint Vincent, Annie Clark, and um, uh, so it's been Saint Vincent to, did a little bit, not too much. It's still it's still a rock record, and there's like you can't really dilute the Slater Kinney aesthetic that much because it's very strong. They have very distinct singing styles and very distinct guitar playing styles. Uh, but like comparing this to like Dig Me Out. Mm. Or, mm. Or yeah, like the Hot Rocks or something like. Even the Woods, which was a really highly sort of produced album and very much of its 2004-ish time. Well, that was Dave Fredman of yeah. of Slater or um, of uh, Flaming Lips fame. Did uh, No Cities to Love have a celebrity producer? Good question. Uh, I can look that up. Racing you. Uh, no. Oh, so that's kind of weird. Yes, I, I, suppose, yeah. I suppose it is, Justin. <laughs> well, I mean, they they've all gotten to a point in their career, like they they broke up, they they were done, mm. and yeah. it's it's weird for them to have come back at that time for like almost no reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and 
I mean, back together because they were all doing stuff, you know, a lot of good stuff. And yeah, yeah. Slater Kinney's great too. So also, I think. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think the only one. I mean, uh, Janet Weiss uh, was a jick for a while. She's been doing quasi the entire time with Sam Coombs. Uh, she did, she was in Wild Flag. She was in Wild Flag. She did the uh, uh, Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile live tour. And uh, she also does, like, a day job, too. She was the location scout permit person on Portlandia, and I'm not sure if she does much other TV production work as well. Uh, uh, Corin Tucker, for years, had the Corin Tucker Band, uh, yeah. which crosses over with uh, another Jick, Mike Clark. Uh, and But now um, uh, she also has a Filthy Friends, another, mm. another band of, like, a super group of aging indie rockers. So kind of like the only one besides, you know, becoming a comedy actor, which yeah. is a bit of a left turn, uh, 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 Carrie Brownstein, um, and memoir writer. Uh, she's not the only one who doesn't like have another like flagship yeah. band emphasis on flagship because wild flag didn't make a single record. Um, so it kind of, and like, so I, I'm a little, you know, I'm a little apprehensive that like there's three of them, which is an odd number. So somebody has got to be in the middle and that person in the middle is Carrie Brownstein. So I'm mm. slightly anxious that it's sort of become the Carrie Brownstein band. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Cause the other people do have a lot of shit going on, but, mm. um, small concern. Plus like there's a weird press photo going around where like the, uh, uh Corin Tucker and Janet Weiss are wearing these like you know, Blade Runner trench coat, shiny things, and Carrie Brownstein is wearing an utterly transparent suit, and you see her tuckus, and she's in the middle, and like, she going for like a early middle aged uh, tuckus sex symbol, <laughs> run at the, run at the world. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Tom has become a Jewish grandmother sometime in the past five minutes. I love Yiddish. Let me tell you. I've just, I keep, my Yiddish vocabulary keeps growing. I've been using futz a lot lately. Um, I had the futz a lot with my machine at the show last night because it was breaking. How was your show? It was all right. We'll, we'll, you know, we've moved on from that. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, the other big music thing is that supposedly, um, it's been 10 years, if you can believe it, since the last time it happened. Jesus Christ. Another pavement reunion. Another 20. It's been 20 years now since they broke up in 99. And they're back after their first reunion approximately 10 years ago. And we're all realizing how old we are now. And uh, they've got two festival dates announced for 2020. But that's how it started last time. They started with a few festival announcements. And then they just did a North American tour. Mm -hmm. So... I'm, I see no reason why they wouldn't do that. If they're going to like deal with having to be around each other again and deal with rehearsing and going on tour again, they might as well just do make some money, go around North America. Yeah. Do you think that they have their shit together enough to the point and like being around each other enough now that they're recording something or no? No. 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 I think, well, basically 100% of the creative juices in that band were Stephen Malkmus, and he seems pretty sated at the moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. He literally is on tour, uh, sitting in a lounging chair, <laughs> patting his belly. Yes. <laughs> if, you follow, if you follow him on Instagram, this is an accurate description. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, and 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 Spiral Stairs, sort of oh, I, who I think was the holdout initially. Uh, he he seems to be in a pretty good spot. He he's got a semi regular project, um, living down Mexico way, and the rest. I mean, I think they're they're all pretty happy to do whatever. Mm. Um, so I I don't think they're gonna go back to the studio. I think they're just gonna. Also, I really don't want to see what a. F- a f- 50 year old pavement record is yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i get that i get that um although uh, bob pollard from guided by voices is still putting out great records yes because he never stopped that's true he's got like a three-month album release cycle he does it's it's every couple months with him uh so yeah i mean they were a bit of a shambles anyway um, so yeah, supposedly they're back. I'll go see them again. I'll go see them for the first I time. Will, I will absolutely go see them again because, uh, I got a good show on their reunion tour. Apparently not everyone did. Um, where'd you see them? Uh, at the man center in Philadelphia. Me too. Me too. We were probably, we were at the same show then. Oh, <laughs> it's uh, a great show. Kurt Vile opens. He did. He was really good. As yeah. I recall. I didn't, I, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I was with I was with some crumb brum crumb brum crumb brums crumb bums, uh, and we were like from like the nosebleeds, like heckling. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, uh, we're idiots. Yeah, jokes on you. He's really successful now. What do you mean jokes on me? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, okay. I've got this thing about not criticizing contemporary musicians because who the fuck am I? But like. I just can't get on the, the Kurt Vile train. Uh, sucks to be you, man. I, get, I disagree. <laughs> I get Kurt Vile and Nick Cave confused all the time, and I don't Which care for... Which is weird, because they're very different. I, and from I don't, different eras. And I don't care for either of them. <laughs> they're very... Oh, you don't like Nick Cave? We're going to fight now. No, I haven't, I haven't given either of them any I, amount of time, I, so I, I'll, I'll check them out. I want to meet the person and then have them explain to me. I want to meet the person who likes Kurt Vile but doesn't like Mac DeMarco, and I want them to explain to me uh, the differences. I know yeah. they're different, but like to me, they they kind of occupy the same uh, disinterested space in my mind. <laughs> I also enjoy both. I have a thing about Wilco. I have cooled on Wilco. What is your thing about Wilco, Justin? I don't... They are the beigest thing ever, and and thus seem like my birthright as a... uh, As a beige person. Yeah, 30-year-old cis white male. (laughs) Left-leaning cis white male. I I, I saw a really hilarious uh, post on, uh, I think it was Hard Times, uh, which is sort of like a music-specific onion. And it yes. was uh, Wilco shirt mysteriously appears in man's closet on eve of 35th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing with, um, like, um, the Maximum Fun Network and, like, NPR, where it's like, I used to be into I used to be punk rock, but now I'm. But uh, now I'm a quirky nice boy. Exactly, and it's like which is all maximum fun is. Yeah, and it's like it's the the it, the fangs are gone, and 
Frank Skypes in and he uh, will just sometimes randomly send us memes <laughs> while we're talking. Just irrelevant memes to anything that's happening on the pod. I thought it was pretty funny. Robert De Niro saying that you might know me from Saturday Night Live. It's just, where he gives a it, terrible it, Robert Mueller impression. It's also evidence that you're just like on Reddit or something <laughs> while we're recording. I actually don't know how to use Reddit that well. And yet you're on Twitter. That's true. Oh, so speaking of nerd shit, do you know the name of the character that tries to sell Obi-Wan death sticks in Star Wars 2 Attack of the Clones? No. Ilan Sleazebagano. (laughs) That is not a joke. Was let me ask a serious question. Was Star Wars ever actually good? No. Probably not. <laughs> okay. No, it was not. Okay, it's agreed. Star Trek is better. I was watching the original no, trilogy. Well, I, uh, uh. I was watching <laughs> We're gonna the, talk about it this week. <laughs> I was watching the original trilogy. And it was Empire, the one that everyone says is the best one. Mm-hmm. Uh and it, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Like really? Everyone sucked. Everyone was a problematic character motivations didn't make sense. It's a janky janky movie where it's just like Luke just escaped death, but for some reason he's having a conversation with R2 about whether or not to use autopilot. Uh Han is a monster. <laughs> yeah. He's just like harassing Leia and manhandling her and uh uh what was it? It would take it would take it would take more than you holding me to get me excited, Leia says to Han. And she says, uh, he says, oh, I'm sorry, but we don't have time for anything else. Ugh. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'm not, it doesn't hold up. I don't think Frank it ever... Frank is just shrinking into himself. Yeah. <laughs> Tears welling up in his eye. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll have to rewatch the original trilogy. I've not rewatched it in a while. Star Wars is for babies. Let's go talk about Star Trek. Which is not for babies. It's for awful adults. <laughs> we'll get to it, but there was a fucking child in Klingon makeup that always makes me laugh. But that doesn't mean it's not stupid. I I hear on the wind. Huh? I hear something. I hear a little guitar. Beep, and I hear boom, some fiddle. Beep, beep, beep. You motherfucker. Uh, there'll be cocksuckers coming down the mountain when she comes. There'll be cunts coming down the mountain when she comes. There'll be cocksuckers and cunts. There'll be cocksuckers and cunts. There'll be cocksuckers and cunts. Deadwood. Tom, we are going to say all the curse words. So, okay. <laughs> Including cocksucker and cunt. Here, oh, here's the deal. 
So uh, Frank and Justin are big Deadwood fans, and Deadwood has just released a season finale standalone movie thing on HBO that he and Frank have both watched. Now, I have not watched the series, and it was decided that watching the movie would be too much of a spoiler for somebody who hasn't seen the series, so I haven't seen the movie. So obviously, I can't participate in this discussion because I haven't seen the thing. Here's the deal, though. Little old Tommy boy here. Uh, your pal T-Bone, does all the editing on the show. So if I'm going to edit the discussion that Justin and Frank have, I'm going to hear the discussion and thus get all the spoilers from them talking about it. So our workaround for that is we're going to set a timer. And Frank and Justin are just going to go. And they (laughs) they have only that time to discuss the show. But here's the added caveat. I do the editing, therefore... I can't listen to that chunk of time later. So if they say anything weird or say anything <laughs> unuseful, I'm not going to know about it. I'm never going to hear it. So it's just going to be on the pod. Anything they say is automatically going to be on the pod. So I'm going to I'm going to set up what do you think? 20 minutes, 25 minutes? 25 minutes? 25 sounds good. 25 minutes. And I we were all We'll come call you if we run out in yeah. 3 minutes. So, all right. Secret Service, this is parody, parody, Secret Service, this is parody. <laughs> oh, God. What are you planning, Frank? <laughs> so uh, another thing is that I can't just be twiddling my thumbs in that time. So he's going to be watching all of Deadwood in 25 minutes. Well, I, yes. I, I think it's he, only three seasons of television. Yeah, only 30, 32 hours. Yeah. So what should I? I did my rewatch in a couple of weeks. Good for you. Good for you. Oh my god! Twenty-five minutes. I'm gonna make a portrait of Frank in that time. (laughs) All right. And I'll come back and show it to you guys. Very excited. Very excited. You'll get to see it on the uh, the internet as well. So I'm leaving my phone here, so I'm gonna have to go from memory because the phone has the timer. So are are you boys ready? Oh yeah, we're ready. We're you ready. stretched. You're we're ready for by, this. By the way, before, before we uh, launch again, Secret Service. This is parody. Parody. <laughs> it's protected speech. Uh, if you're listening, FBI and CIA, uh, everything we're about to say is protected speech. Please don't arrest F- us. FBI. He's got his fingers crossed. FBI. He's lying. Come in, <laughs> FBI. <laughs> go. Oh, okay, wait, Justin, no, I have to go. <laughs> okay, Justin. So this is how we're going to kill the president. No, Jesus. <laughs> That was parody, FBI, CIA, Secret Service. We're not actually going to do that. Thank you. We quit, are a joke quit, podcast, joke qu- boys. Quit winking at me, Frank, while you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Justin. Yes. Uh, so I had recommended this show on uh, to you and to everyone mm-hmm. uh, when the movie was uh, released its first trailer because I have watched Deadwood through probably three or four times. Mm. Uh, in my life, uh, it is one of my favorite shows. It was one of my favorite things. Um, and I hadn't watched it in quite some time. And then the movie trailer came out and a flood of feelings came mm. over me. And I started rewatching Deadwood again. And I realized this is one of the most perfect pieces of art released on television. Um, I don't disagree with that. It's, uh, I loved it when I watched it like a month ago and it's one of those things that has just been growing in my mind. Um, I, uh, I've been waiting for a long time. I've been meaning to watch Deadwood, but I never did because I heard that it ended. Uh, it was like just canceled. Um, 
but I did it. I think I did it the right way. Uh. Waiting and getting a conclusion. Because let me tell you, if because I've heard people say like, no, no, like it's it's find the way the original ended no nope. it is not no there are so many things left dangling um yes they uh including like the doctor the last season is ominously yeah, coughing having tuberculosis and dying which they never resolved which i was fine with because yeah so what so for some backstory deadwood uh was a show that ran from 2004 to 2006 uh, it was a very uh, expensive show, written, created, and uh, run by David Milch, who was a really famous uh, TV writer and producer. Um, and the show was expensive to produce because all of the sets that you see on the show were built from scratch, and they are fully functional. So when they moved the camera into those uh, saloons and hotels and homes— those are not sound stages. Those are not just sort of prop sets. Those are actual things that they built, mm-hmm. like homes that you can walk up the stairs and into another room in. Um, so that is very costly, and it's a very time-consuming thing to do from a television perspective. Um, and it was also a little bit expensive for the actors that they were hiring to do it. So the show was declining a tiny bit in viewership and it was getting very expensive, but HBO has never cared about viewership. Mm-hmm. It got canceled in season three because it kind of got talked into existence. That the show was ending because David Milch got paranoid that they were going to cancel the show. So he told Timothy Oliphant that the show was going to get canceled because negotiations had taken kind of a sour note, but HBO had no intention of canceling the show. So Timothy Oliphant, who had at that point just bought a house because he assumed that he was getting a raise in another season of television, said, well, fuck, I need to book work now. (laughs) So he called his agent and his agent was like, well, fuck, you do need to book work because you need to pay for this fucking house. Um, So that's that's literally how he got that shitty Die Hard movie and the shitty Hitman movie was he was suddenly out of work. Um, and had to pay for a house. So his agent starts telling everybody else's agents that the show is over, and the show just kind of talked itself into a sudden cancellation. Uh, But it was really only supposed to go one season more. The fourth season was going to resolve all of the stuff. Uh, It was going to resolve the George Hurst storyline, and it was going to resolve the stuff with the doc and the theater troupe, which never gets resolved in this movie, spoiler alert. Mm. Um, The theater troupe, uh, leader played by Brian Cox was supposed to betray uh, um, Al Swearingen in a thing that leads to his death. That makes sense. Yeah. Otherwise, they. But that's that's the thing. Let, let's get to the original series. Let's talk about that for yes. a while. That. Um. That makes sense. That they would. That they were put there to have some sort of effect of on the plot. Because they don't. But this show, and that's the thing that's been growing in my mind of and why I think it's... I loved it when I watched it, but it's been growing that it was so unique that it was just kind of a meandering, almost plotless show. Plot that, is not important. Yeah, and it could have gone on for literally ever. <laughs> It's not like Game of Thrones, where everything on that show is a function of plot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they had to reach an end point. 
there's not really an endpoint to Deadwood because there's really no major plot structure. Yeah. Characters exist in the world and they do things. Now, the moment when I I was taken aback and I thought, this is a weird turn. This is a weird show. The first season went along and it made sense and it's great. In the second season, they introduce a serial killer. <laughs> yes, and it is that is where the show, I think, grows even more because his character is incredible. Yes. And and it it showed to me that like, oh, this is just a a show about a place. Yes. And exactly. about the characters in the place and literally anything that could happen can happen. You know what I mean? Because he's not instrumental to the plot, but he is in a lot of season two. Yeah. He doesn't do anything significant until the end of the season. Yeah. And even that, it's not like a plot. It's not something that has a huge effect on everybody else. So we are talking about. So in Deadwood, in the first season, it it starts with the town of Deadwood as a lawless mining camp uh, under no jurisdiction from the United States of America because it's not yet been annexed and South Dakota is not yet a state. Uh, And it is populated by characters like Seth Bullock, played by Timothy Oliphant, mm-hmm. his partner in business, Saul Starr, played by John Hawks, uh, the pimp and saloon owner Al Swearingen, played by Ian McShane, uh, Alma Garrett slash Alma Ellsworth, played by Molly Parker, um, and various other historical characters like Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, Charlie Utter, um, Wyatt Earp makes an appearance in season three. Yes. Which is crazy. And like it it goes nowhere and it doesn't mean anything, but it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. He literally shows up for two episodes, doesn't do shit, shoots a guy in the leg and then leaves. Yeah. (laughs) That's just kind of the show that this is. And it's really it's less about the plot than it is about how civilization forms around an idea and around a place. And it forms in Deadwood and in the United States around gold, around capital, because Deadwood is a mining town with rich veins of gold, which is where the series villain, uh, George Hearst, who was a real person and a real United States senator, he was the father of William Randolph Hearst, uh, and the founder of the Homestake Mine, comes in at the end of season two and is in for all of season three. And he tries to consolidate his power in the town of Deadwood and sort of leech... Uh, it's gold from it to expand his wealth. Um, and it's about how violence is sort of a necessary component of civilizing a place, mm-hmm. uh, which is where the serial killer character Francis Wolcott comes in. So Francis Wolcott is the chief geologist for George Hurst, who is played by Garrett Dillahunt, the same actor who played Jack McCall. Yes. The which, guy who kills Wild Bill Hickok in season one, which, uh, which is brilliant. I'll, I'll get... I'll say it now. One thing I I really dislike about the uh, the series, um, is that they didn't bring that actor back for the third season. The third season, and I think playing, it was because he couldn't do it. That that really that I hate that so much because yeah. like I it was so weird seeing him again. Yeah, uh, and I thought that was an amazing weird talismanic. <laughs> thing Thing. he's in the movie yes yes and i love that (laughs) yeah 
Uh, I, th- I I really think he couldn't come back for the third series because he was for scheduling reasons because they could not bring back Titus Welliver's character Silas Adams for the movie because mm-hmm. he is currently Bosch on Amazon Prime, oh, yeah. <laughs> the fucking detective show. <laughs> and it's like, dude, just fucking don't do your detective show for a summer and do Deadwood movie. Yeah, it's going to cost it's two days out of your life to film this show. Um, but really, the main character of the show, for the most part, is Al Swearingen, mm. the pimp and saloon owner, who is prone to Shakespearean soliloquies, uh, soliloquies full of profanity. Mostly uh, when he's getting... Uh, blowjobs. Blowjobs, yes. There yes. are many breathtaking uh, character-revealing scenes where he is monologuing about his childhood while getting... A, a blowjob. A blowjob. I know what the senator wants. What the senator wants is a blowjob. <laughs> yes, and uh, often critiquing the form of the young woman who is performing said blowjob. Yes. Um, <laughs> but what is amazing about this show, Justin, to yes. me, and I think I want you to talk about this too, mm. is that it is a show whose empathies and sympathies are very wide yes. and very deep but it is not it is empathetic and sympathetic in a way that feels very human and very true and it is not very academic or shrill it is not mm-hmm. trying to be educational it just cares for its characters in a very yes. deep way um I, I, i'll talk about elsewhere engine in a moment but the, two of my favorite moments from the show and because it's so like kind of meandering and everything um very minor characters are given amazing things um yes. i think possibly like the best moment of the show uh is in the third season i believe or the second and um elections are going to be taking place and there is a podium for the speeches and it's just a scene of elsewhere engine being woken up hearing a drunk, nameless man um, talk about how uh, how hard he, his life has been and how he's been fucked over, and he's completely drunk and falls off and breaks his neck. That is the man's entire arc. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's just placed there, and it's uh, this beautiful thing. Um there's a another sequence that I always remember, and it's it's played for laughs, but also it is a like true character thing. That um, what's what's his name? The other saloon owner, uh, Cy Tolliver. Cy Tolliver, um, he is in bed with uh, one of the women who work for him, and he's being flippant and says like, "Yeah, pray for me, darling." Yeah. And and she says, I, I do every night. Old size outlasted the cocksuckers one more time. If it me to kid myself, I'd take this for proving God loves me. <laughs> I believe he loves us. Do you, sweetheart? Did his hand lead me by in turning you out? It's a lovely thought. Next year in touch, would you put the good word in? I do. I pray for you every night. And he laughs yes. it off. And she's, he realizes, oh, she's 
telling the truth. And she's she, being serious. Yeah. She's this woman who works for this monster. Uh, she's a sex worker and a devout Christian. <laughs> yes. And believes in like divine love. And it's like this beautiful thing, just this mess of humanity. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also want to talk about the character of Jewel. Uh, who is Alice Warrington's disabled housekeeper? Yes, uh, played by an actress who had severe MS. So, mm-hmm. uh, like, it's it's really interesting casting. Um, and the way they treat Jewel is, she is physically disabled, but she is not mentally disabled. So every time a character tries to talk down to her about her mental faculties, she is always there to ensure her to this the character who talks down to her. That her disability is just physical. She understands what they're saying just fine, and she is an intelligent person. She just can't physically do certain things very well. Mm. Uh, and that was just a moment of, like, holy shit, like, this show fucking does it and gets it. Yeah. And then there's season one, uh, played by the great Ray McKinnon, the preacher. Yes. Uh, Reverend uh, Smith. It, you, want, you want to talk about that, Justin? Um, oh. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, it's this beautiful character who, um, his whole arc is just to die, <laughs> basically. Yep. Uh, he is a, a a preacher who comes into camp, and he is. At first, you take him to be creepily chipper and nice, yes, and sweet. Yeah. Until you realize, no, this this is who this man is. Mm-hmm. He is uh, just a array of pure goodness, and he gets a um, because at the time there's not much medicine can do for many things. He gets a brain tumor, and begins losing his mind, and he starts a little questioning his faith, but. With the help of his friends, <laughs> yeah, um, he is able to, and he—it's it's an amazing character because he does so many things for so many characters. He, I believe, is like the first character to humanize Al Swearingen. Yes, he is because Al had a brother who uh, would have seizures, mm-hmm. and so he—he he kind of. In his own way, it treats the preacher very uh, gently and sweetly. Um, and I think the first season is a brilliant, perfect thing because at the very end of the season, uh, for the doctor character, basically. Yeah, Doc Cochran, played by the great Brad Dourif. Yes. He is unable to save the life of the preacher. But he is able to make uh, like this harness for Jewel, so mm-hmm. that she can walk uh, without dragging her leg and and improve the quality of her life. Um, now and that's that's at the end. It's a beautiful shot of them dancing together. Yes, and th- this is that's this kind of show that. You know, it's about gold and it's about elsewhere engine. It's about the law and justice. And yet they'll allow the season to end uh, with this beautiful separate thing. But it's not separate. It's all there, you know? Yeah. About these two characters dancing and finding this common connection with each other and just being 
characters and just having an inner like these characters have an inner life yes in a way that a lot of characters on television just don't yeah today now the timers we got we got eight minutes all right before we get to the movie before we get to the movie we need to discuss uh in kind of legitimately my opinion uh one of the greatest characters in fiction (laughs) mr E.B. Farnham. E.B. Farnham. <laughs> and and his sidekick, uh, Richardson. Uh, Richardson. Yeah. He's, he is a remarkable character. Uh, fucking incredible. He's this, like, rat, rat-faced, like... Cowardly. Cowardly. Venal. Um, he... Abused constantly. Constantly. Every, nobody respects him. Um, and he's, he's resentful towards he's everyone. Cruel. He's, he's a cruel man. He yeah. beats, he beats on the only person who's lower than him, uh, Richardson. Yes. Um, he is. And he, yet. And yes. And yet he, he refuses to give up his dignity in a no, sense. This- the scene of him cleaning the blood stain in season one, yes, where he is monologuing, and Tom, like I don't know if Tom can drop this in because uh, if he's not listening, but we should find a way to drop in a clip of his monologue from season one where he is cleaning the blood stain, yes, on the floor. Why should I reward E.B. with some small fractional participation in the clean, or let him even lay by a little security and source of continuing income? For his declining years, what's he ever done for me? Except let me terrify him every goddamn day of his life till the idea of bowel regularity is a forlorn fucking hope. Not to mention ordering a man killed in one of E.B.'s rooms. So every fucking free moment of his life, E.B. has to spend scrubbing the bloodstains off the goddamn floor. To keep from having to lower his rates. God damn that motherfucker. Bemoaning his lot in life in one hand and on the other vowing to persevere through the abuse that he yeah. suffers. Yes. Um, and there's a scene in season three where the villain of the show, George Hurst, spits on his face. Like he talks he a huge loogie onto his face and says, uh, you know, I will be very upset if I find you to have cleaned your face yes. when I come back to just to abuse him. He does it purely out of anger and just to make sure that uh, uh, E.B. Farnham knows his place. And Farnham does sit there with the spit on his face for hours, as we understand, unable to move. And then he cleans it off and he says, I'm the kind of cunt that you let in close. And he vows at that moment to bring down George Hurst yes. for spitting on his face. Uh, he also shits himself yes. in front of George Hurst in season two, which is amazing. Yes. Uh, uh, he almost uh, pisses himself in the movie. In, in the movie, of- he almost pisses himself, which is amazing again. E.B. E. Farnham is... One of the greatest characters ever. He is. It's he's he's broadly broad and comedic, but uh, 
thanks to David Milch, he is a like a very real character and like an a a fucking archetype, you know. Yeah. And I think a uniquely American character. <laughs> yes. Because he is he's is striving, he wants to uh uh move his station in life, but he can't. Yes. Because he's not good enough. And he is very mindful of the fact that there are tiers and hierarchies mm-hmm. that he exists near the bottom of. Yes. Um, now, we, so the movie. We've got like five minutes. We can we could go. We longer. can talk about the movie. But uh, go ahead, you start. Um, I need to watch it again. Yes, I do too. Um. I am was simultaneously love love it, yes, and was very disappointed. Mm. But the disappointment I, will go away, yes, once I watch it again and once I recalibrate what it was going to be. Here's the thing: it it really does. It's really does feel like. I, here's what I kind of wish they did if they did did it the way they do it. Yeah, I kind of wish they would have said it was two years later, and then just not talk about how everybody looks ten years older. Yeah, because yeah, they spend a fair amount of time resetting the place so it was just like how season three ended, so that they could finish that story. Yes, and I mean this is my own fault, but I. I had different expectations. Like in, in real life, there are a couple of major things that happen to these real characters. Yeah. That the town burns down, the town burns down, which how amazing. How did they not deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, also elsewhere engine rebuilds the, the gem, the gem. And Al Swearingen and Dan, his right-hand man, have a, have a falling out. A falling out, and Dan starts his own competing place. Yeah. And I, I, I need to get over that. But there were so many things they didn't use that ten-year time gap. They didn't use it at all. No, I. I they used it in some ways. I think. Mm-hmm. And I, so one thing we haven't talked about is the fact that in the intervening period between the end of the show and the start of this movie, David Milch was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, and he has written this that. movie in the midst of his Alzheimer's diagnosis. So he had been rewriting and rewriting this movie several times over the years. But the, the end product is something that was that very much was conceived during a period in his life where he has Alzheimer's. So. His faculties are not at 100 percent. But I think you're right. There are there was a ton of stuff that they could have and probably did at some versions of this in years past done involving the town burning down. Dan and Al having a falling out. Uh, Seth Bullock becomes friends with Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. uh, At some point. Um, Yeah. Calamity Jane is a dancer for Al Swearingen at some point in her life. Mm. Um, They could have done something like that. But, you know, what they do come back to is you have all of these actors who look not just 10 years older, because it's been even longer than that, 13 years older or 14 uh, than they were the last time that they had appeared on the show. 
and it's about the toll that time takes on people uh remembering relationships past mm-hmm. um and in in some sense forgetting relationships past because of the opening of the movie Al Swearingen is diagnosed with uh what is modern I think modernly understood as either liver cancer or cirrhosis mm-hmm. uh because he is dying from his significant alcohol use um and Doc Cochran, who at the end of season three has fucking tuberculosis, (laughs) which is a fatal disease in the 19th century, (laughs) has somehow lived the past 10 years. and They don't talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think was just like, we need to bring Brad Dourif back because he's Brad Dourif. So much of it kind of felt like that, which I'm I'm I am completely fine with. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, so the doc asks him what day of the week it is. And he says, Tuesday, but it's Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about forgetting. And, it's, it, you know, it's funny. I think the closest thing that I can compare it to in terms of its relationship to time and death and memory. Timer's up. We won't tell Tom. Go on. <laughs> is Twin Peaks The Return. Yes, 100%. It is, it is as elegiac and sorrowful about time and death as Twin Peaks The Return. And it is... I don't know if it's equally great to that season of television, but it is as close to as great of a finale for Deadwood as I would imagine could be, because quite frankly, I never thought it would happen at all. Yes. So. I, yes, I think it is. Um, it's a, a wonderful miracle to have gotten this, to have an ending for the show. And I, I think it 100% succeeds at that. And I think the writing is all is up there. The acting is up there uh, with the original. Yeah. I, I was astounded at how seamlessly it looks the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the sets all look exactly the same. Uh, and I will say, I think Timothy Oliphant in the intervening period got better at playing Seth Bullock than he was yes. when the show was on the air. That That's one thing I want to bring up that I... Uh, am very satisfied with, which is the uh, historically accurate uh, Seth Bullock mustache is finally yes. there. <laughs> yes, because it was not accurate for the most of the show. It's a very thin mustache, mm-hmm. um, and on the the movie they give him the gigantic uh, <laughs> yeah. toothbrush mustache that Seth Bullock actually had in real life. And I think uh, he is uh, he's the like the most beautiful man I've ever seen. And he's a very attractive human being. And I think he's not necessarily hotter, but he's uh, he's keeping it tight. <laughs> he is. He is. Uh, as also a big fan of Justified, which shared a lot of actors with Deadwood. Mm. Um, he is. He aged into Seth Bullock through Raylan Givens, I think. Um, and I, I think it's 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 perfect. You have Seth Bullock going home and saying to his wife, I'm like, I'm home. I'm back. You know. Uh, yeah. And you've got Al Swearingen's final exchange. Was the most perfect thing you could send him out on. It's goddamn incredible. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. I, I felt so relieved that it existed and that it existed in the form that it did. Uh, I'm very happy with it. I'm going to rewatch it probably very soon, although I think I'm going to do the whole thing yes. again. I'm going to rewatch it from the beginning with the movie at the very end. 
Um, cause I think that's how it should be seen. Yeah. Um, and I'm hopefully, cause I've never owned it on physical media. I am hoping that, uh, they release the full series with the movie on yeah. physical media so I can just have it. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's call T baby back in to talk about this star Trek nonsense. <laughs> oh, I think I hear him. Good well, timing. Can I see the portrait? <laughs> so I've completed your portrait. Yes. After a few false starts. Well, let me see it. I broke down and actually found a reference on my computer. Uh, so I, I hope you like it. Let's, let's see it. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. He looks like Bobby He's... Hill, which is accurate <laughs> to life. Exactly like fucking Bobby Hill. What the fuck is that? Am I doing a Michael Jordan dunk? Yes, yes you will. Uh, I, I figured I wanted to... Uh... Is it a windmill Michael Jordan duck? I don't look like Bobby Hill, I don't think. <laughs> yes, you do. You no, really God do. damn it. I don't think I do. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be mean. I'm just bad at art. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Okay, that's much worse seeing it for real. Uh, yeah, put that on the Instagram. That's horrifying. <laughs> Oh, uh, do Justin next time. Say NRA. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I don't like the NRA, ladies and gentlemen. If I was Michael Jordan in that picture, did he have me be like, I don't know, um, Keith Hernandez or something in the first one? Um, I think you'll agree, though, that this is. That this is a considerably nicer rendition than my first attempt. Oh my god, he looks like Frank from the movie Frank, <laughs> except tiny head. Oh Jesus Christ! Why is my nose like that? Because <laughs> I don't know how to draw noses. Is he wearing a medallion and have a hairy chest? Yeah, you are correct. Uh, you also notice that his. It, why am I a Tom of Finland drawing? <laughs> Why am I in uh, gay erotica from the 1960s? I don't know, Frank. Maybe I feel a certain way. I mean, I have been watching a lot of Kenneth Anger films recently. You'll also notice that the suit jacket has no sleeves. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Confused by that. I was confused by the sailor tattoo. I'm a little confused, too, if you know what I mean. All right. Speaking of erotic stuff, boys. Where are we? Deadwood. 19th century Earth. The ancient West. Stardate. SG-1. (laughs) First office... uh, First uh, battle officer Worf has to spend time with his shitty child. He goes into the Deadwood, South Dakota. (laughs) But... Then Data is in there as well. He becomes all the other characters. But now, what will happen when War- uh, Marina Sirtis is there too? Great <laughs> performance this week on Star Trek The Next Generation. A fistful of Data's. So back when Justin was first starting to watch Star Trek, yes, I said to him, "There is an episode in the holodeck where they're all in cowboy hats, and it is called a fistful of datas." And the look of pure joy and anticipation on his face is irreplaceable. 
now let me say this that um this is a in a back-to-back situation with the episode where uh, a few of the characters become children. <laughs> I think it's probably the stupidest two uh, parts of a, of a, of a Star Trek season, except for the two-parter where they go back in time and Mark Twain Mark is Twain. there. <laughs> oh, the Mark Twain one. Garbage. Trash. Uh, I will say... This is a really fucking stupid episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I have a fun time every time I watch it. It's it's not as fun as I w- it should be, but it's fun. Giddy up, father. <laughs> so, this is Alexander, uh, Worf's son. Yeah. Yeah, old boy in Klingon makeup. <laughs> a little boy, and I assume, and maybe this is wrong... But I'm assuming he's a white kid. Yes, yeah. He's the whitest so they, little boy. <laughs> so they put him in what is essentially blackface. Yes. And in a way, that's kind of true because, like, there there are different skin tones for Klingons, as we find out. Like, it's really weird when we find out that Michael Dorn's wharf isn't only Klingon. He's a black Klingon? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because his brother is Tony Todd. Mm. And... and like, there are Klingons played by, like, Christopher Lloyd mm-hmm. and Christopher Plummer and Stephen Root. <laughs> so, I mean, okay, okay. So, uh, it's an episode where the holodeck breaks. What? Is that possible? Oh, oh no. no! The holodeck is broken. The holodeck is broken, and also uh, Data it's- is being plugged into the ship and taking over again somehow. Jesus Christ. So, so here's, what I, here's what I love about the beginning of this episode. Picard is in his ready room, and he is playing the flute from the inner light. Yes. One of the best ever episodes of any Star Trek show. Yeah. Uh, Tearjerker. Yeah, makes me cry. Probably makes Justin cry. Does it? Has it made you cry? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it didn't make it to your Instagram, so I don't know. It did. It did? Yeah. Picard at I the end, pulling out his flute and then <laughs> blowing on it a little. I, I missed that one. I'll have to go back through the uh, the feed. But so he's playing his flute from the inner light because they are delayed for something. It was like a shipment of something. So everybody's taking the fucking day off and trying to figure out what to do with their time. So Picard is trying to play his flute and he keeps being fucking bothered in his <laughs> yes. ready room. They like they keep ringing his doorbell and he's like. Come in. Come in. <laughs> he doesn't say yes. come in. He said yeah. come. Yes. And eventually he's like, open the door. Like he gets yeah. so angry every time they try to open his door. Um, while he's trying to play this fucking flute. And I appreciate that so much because Picard is very similar to me in that I have a very specific threshold of the amount of bother that I'm willing to deal with in my life. And after a certain point, I'm like, Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck you. Frank, you can just tell us how you really feel. <laughs> um, and one of the things he's being fucking bothered with is Crusher wants to put on a play? Yes. <laughs> the, yes. That goes nowhere, by the way. I think Crusher is the most realistic character in a lot of ways because we all have m- mothers and we all know yeah. Yeah. moms uh. just develop 
weird hobbies out of nowhere yeah. at a certain point, <laughs> yeah. and suddenly she wants to be the drama director for the Enterprise. I think this is a good moment, because we don't talk about Star Trek enough, uh, that I love the fact that Jean-Luc Picard and Beverly Crusher are fucking nerds, even <laughs> yeah. in the show. You've got yeah. a, a lot of younger, coolish people. You got William Riker. You got... Uh, um, uh, why am I forgetting her character name? Uh, Marina Sirtis. Oh, Counselor yeah. Troy. Yeah. Counselor Troy. They're young. They're sexy. They're cool. And they're fucking. They're fucking. And Picard and Crusher uh, uh, are having brunch. And uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they want to put on fucking plays and read Shakespeare and old mystery novels. Yeah, and play like, a goddamn flute. <laughs> Picard's holodeck simulation is is a, a fucking Dashiell Hammett-type mystery novel. And do you remember the episode where, like, Picard's big idea is like, oh, let's go see this string quartet that's playing on the Enterprise. <laughs> oh! I, Mr. Data! I'm infuriated by your uh, your impressions <laughs> of the good captain. They're only going to get worse. <laughs> uh, Mr. Data, will you please shut the fuck up about your fucking cat spot? No one cares about your fucking cat, Mr. Data. I defended your humanity to that one what? character. What? What? He's, he is Orson Welles now! <laughs> There's a <laughs> There's a little town where Mrs. Buckley lives. Ah, the French. French champagne. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Worf's shitty, shitty son, <laughs> Alexander, uh, convinces Worf on his day off to go to a holodeck simulation where they are sheriffs in Deadwood, South Dakota, which is in, why we picked this episode. In the ancient west. The ancient West. They Not keep the old West. The ancient West. It's only like 300 years from now, and suddenly, yeah, the, the, the ancient West, West. Because it's the future, and you know it's more than old. Ancient. Ancient. Yeah. Um. So they are in Deadwood, South Dakota. Uh. None of our favorite characters from the television program are there. There's no Al Swearingen to call this kid a cocksucker, <laughs> which is I would have appreciated. Because this kid fucking sucks. He's one of the worst characters on the show. He's not as bad as Wesley Crusher, but he's pretty close. No, he's worse. But I have to say that I yeah, appreciate... I don't know if he's worse. He's I, pretty bad. I appreciate this episode because, one, he's bad. He's a bad actor. Also oh, a bad yeah. character. But for the most of his episodes, he's also, like, sad and being neglected. And yes. so yeah. there's that added level of, like, this is bad. I don't like watching this. Why is this here? And also it's, like, supposed to be heart-wrenching. I like this episode because he's just a little kid. <laughs> yeah, he's a little kid who wants to do a Western. A little annoying um, bad kid. <laughs> so they get into the uh, Deadwood, and they go to the saloon where the villain of the program is hanging out, and he's played by some guy. <laughs> and I want to talk about the guy who's sitting next to him as part of his gang. Uh-huh. So this is a Mexican gentleman. Yes. yes. A giant mustache and a sombrero and a poncho. And he talks like the fucking Taco Bell dog. Yeah. Like, you're a very funny man, senor Eli. Star Trek The Next Generation writers, why are you doing this? You don't have to do this. There doesn't have to be a guy, a Mexican guy, with a giant curly mustache and a sombrero and a poncho who 
talks like the fucking Taco Bell dog. Well, here's kind of why they had to do this. It's because this is the deadest ghost town I've ever seen. Yeah, there's no one there. There's nobody there. They have to put something in the frame. And Except okay, here's a racial prostitute. stereotype. <laughs> Except for the busty prostitute who loves war. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, there's a pretty funny joke. In that there is a, another prostitute who hangs her leg over the uh, railing, uh, and Worf tries to shield Alexander from it. And Alexander says, oh, uh, uh, Mr. Barclay, uh, help me design this program. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, noted uh, idiot pervert Reginald Barclay. <laughs> the, the biggest pervert? Or is that Jordy? <laughs> That's gotta be Jordy. Jordy is an incel. Jordy has... Yeah. Jordy can never get there. Yeah. He wants to, but he never gets there. Barkley is a man the, going his own way. Yes. He is. Bar, uh, uh, Barkley's a man who uh, purchased one of the, uh, are they called waifus? The body yes, pillows? Yes. <laughs> the one time fucking Jordy tries to go to the to Risa, the planet where you fuck, <laughs> he gets kidnapped by Romulans and tortured. <laughs> oh, poor Jordy. Uh, we can go on about Star Trek, can't we, folks? <laughs> Changing formats as of this moment. Um, after arresting the bad guy, there's there's the fun sequence where like Worf just arrests him, and it's like, oh, well, yeah. but then they up the difficulty, and he gets to like punch some dudes and like uh, slap the Mexican man. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, and then he's like, I could get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very disrespectful then, impression and, of my voice, Mr. Totara. <laughs> my Michael Dorn. What the fuck? That is. That Hashtag is. We want Worf. Jesus Christ. That's Adam Driver, you fucking. Yes. <laughs> that is kind I, of Adam Driver. I am Worf. Can we? That was a better Patrick Stewart. Can we do a table read as uh, all of our horrible impressions? Yes. Oh, God. Wait till we get to uh, uh, Riker. <laughs> Can you? Uh, I can do Q. Hello, Peacock. <laughs> okay, who's doing? Uh, who's doing? Uh, uh, um, what's her? Yes. No. Who's doing? I keep forgetting her name. Counselor Troy. Counselor Troy. Counselor who's Troy. attempting that one? Because <laughs> she's not doing a real accent. No. no. So she, she shows up in this episode, and she just randomly wants to be a cowboy, which I like. We'll get to it. I do. Um. But she's doing a weird, bad cowboy accent. And Marina Sirtis is a Latina actress. And I thought she was just British. She's British. She's no, she was cast in a bunch. She is of Latina heritage. Yes, that is true. But, but she uh, is British. She's straight up like Cockney. <laughs> yeah, because she was in that bad. Well, not bad, but worth watching. Uh, Death Wish Three, which was filmed in England, but she plays a Cuban lady. Mm. And they uh, darken her skin tone quite significantly. I think she's. I think she's just the tannest woman in Britain. Mm. Yeah, um, but the accent she's doing on the show is w- in her regular character is weird because it's not British. Yeah, it's a strange. And then when she does the the bad western, she's doing a a, a cowboy accent from her accent. Yes, which is weird. And I think it's it's very good. Hold on. I was just passing through town, saw a little trouble, and thought I'd lend a hand. But I ain't one of your deputies, Sheriff. It's a yeah, good acting. 
let's talk uh, about acting. Let's talk about Brent Spiner. Let's talk yes. about. Okay. Yes. We have to get there. So this is one of the subgenre of shows, which there's about a hundred <laughs> episodes worth where some wacky thing happens and Brent Spiner gets to flex his muscles as a character actor and invent like seven characters and transition between them. How they treating you, boy? Real bad, Paul. I ain't fed me since I got here, and that sheriff's been roughing up on me something fierce. Don't you worry, boy. Sheriff's gonna pay. Uh, this one probably has the <laughs> least cockamamie premise, which yeah, is saying yeah. something. Which is still pretty cockamamie. Yeah. <laughs> so, for wacky space reasons, uh, the simulation and his brain get put in a blunder, and uh, he slowly starts uh, becoming... A cowboy on the ship. Yes. As they're trying to investigate. <laughs> this fucking episode sucks. <laughs> I cannot think of a reason why this malfunctioning is happening. I reckon it could be. A... <laughs> he, he, the voice he, picks he up does. Spot when varmint. Start, <laughs> when he says, "Get out of here, you varmint!" to Spot. Spot, you are disrupting my ability to work. Vamoose, you little varmint. He's just doing Pee Wee Herman. He's doing a Pee Wee Herman voice. Yeah. And he's doing the Pee Wee Herman voice in the simulation as the younger character. Yeah. Um, he literally is just doing Pee Wee Herman. And I love Brent Spiner. I think he's actually a wonderful actor. He's an amazing he's, actor. He's great on this show, particularly uh, in episodes with Data and Lore together. Mm. Um. This is not his finest hour. Well, I don't think it's person. anyone's finest hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's uh, um, uh, Dr. What's her name? Deanna Troy. Deanna Troy. I always talk about Deanna Troy on the show. Why am I forgetting it now? I think I it's. I think it's. And this is saying something about the show in general. I think this is one of her finest hours because she's. Uh, she does not get good episodes. She does not get good episodes. In this one, she's having fun. You know, she's got like a Dr. Quinn Medicine woman. Yeah, Dr. Jane Seymour. That's who I was mm -hmm. trying to think of. She was Dr. Quinn Medicine woman. Mm -hmm. um, kind of an anachronistic, uh, skin tight, leather clad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a face full of contoured makeup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, we should say, uh, Data's brain takes over the simulation of the holotech <laughs> to such an extent. That he replaces the Mexican guy character, and so there was a shot of Brent Spiner as Data with a giant fucking curly mustache in a sombrero and a poncho, and he goes, Senor Frank, here is your gun! <laughs> and he tosses it at the other Data character. So that's second. That's silver medal to the gold medal, which is at the very end when Brent oh, Spiner yeah. as the uh, as the buxom prostitute comes up to war. Uh, in this full drag. Man, this poor man was debasing himself for this entire episode. And you have to imagine when he got to that point in the script, he had to be like, all right, guys. 
do I have to do this one? So it's either that or he wrote the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He was like, I'm going to be in this whole fucking thing and none of you can stop me. I actually think this is all an Inception Pocket Universe episode where uh, Reginald Barclay is another uh, friend, erotic friend fiction. (laughs) I think it is because he's not in this episode, but he should be. This should be a Barkley episode. It, it should be. Yeah. What a fucking loser. Fuck you, Barkley. <laughs> um, Alexander, Worf's son, just hangs around perverts. Because there's also the Loxana Troy episode where yep. she's just naked the whole time and they're taking mud baths. And they're yep. in some psychosexual nightmare. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, for as much as we love this show, <laughs> there's some weird stuff going on. <laughs> Oh, this is this was a this is a bad episode. <laughs> I will say I for as bad and as funny and as weird as this episode is, I don't think it reaches the nadir of what you would get on a really bad TOS episode or mm. a really bad like mm. Voyager. Which like episode. for Voyager, that's like fully like a third to half of their episodes. <laughs> but I think like TOS cuz you're dealing with the fact that it was a show in the 60s. Mm. Two, so like there's weird social yeah, attitudes. Their, their old west episodes were much better. <laughs> yeah, their old west episodes were actually much better because they filmed that show on the Gunsmoke set. <laughs> um, uh, possibly I, the best moment of the whole thing, though, is when it's all said and done, and Worf is putting away his cowboy <laughs> gear in his yeah. quarters. The town of Deadwood may face danger once again. If they do. They will need a sheriff. And a deputy. Uh, next yeah. to his uh, backlev and all that. And he's uh, standing there and he looks in the mirror and then he goes, mm, I, uh, I like this. And he spins his six-shooter and holsters it. And you get you get one last musical cue, one last uh, little, like, wow. <laughs> And he looks at the camera and grins, and it is unsettling. (laughs) Yes, but it has a, it's like a goofy, dumb, cute thing, and it's a legitimately beautiful shot of the ship flying off into the sunset. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that touch. Yeah, it's it's goofy and stupid, but it's like literally how it looks is amazing. Can we talk about Worf's uh, Jack Nicholson from Anger Management-esque <laughs> enjoyment yeah. grin when he likes something? <laughs> that is, I think, my most reference gift yeah. is that one. Uh, Justin, do you remember the time that you and me, we were just talking about some nonsense, and it was a Sunday morning in the store, and we were with Lindsay. Shout out to Lindsay. And Shout out to Lindsay. We're talking about some nonsense, and she gets in on the conversation. And is like, "Show sure, you guys talking about me?" And we both lock eyes and we start doing the Jack Nicholson <laughs> <laughs> nod. And she got really upset. I mean, it's a pretty we were not unsettling talking about her, but we spontaneously did the Jack Nicholson <laughs> thing, and that made her very upset. <laughs> Lindsay, we're having you on the show soon. It's it's gonna happen. She doesn't listen anymore. <laughs> um, uh, anything else about Star Trek? It might be a little while before we come back to Star Trek. 
No, it's not. We're going to yeah. talk about yeah, Star Trek like next yeah. week, probably. Yeah, probably. We're probably just going to talk gonna, about it off pod right now. legitimately do one of the movies. Yeah. We'll do, like once one I'm of the done. good movies first. Once I'm done. Yeah. The series. Have you watched any of the Star Trek movies at all? The uh, the first JJ Like the original one. ones? No. Only only the first JJ was the only Star Trek movie I've seen. Okay. Uh, yeah, Wrath of Khan. You, yeah. You get with Wrath of Khan. The one with the whales is good, and then Undiscovered Country, the one where Christopher Plummer plays a Klingon. It's just amazing to me that they made any more after they made the first one, and it was the worst the thing ever made. The first one fucking sucks. It's so bad. What? It was It was Voyager? <laughs> it was <laughs> Earth all along. Long? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then you got to go through my favorite Star Trek show, baby. You're, Deep Space Nine. Just like everything else in life, you're dumb and wrong. <laughs> no, Deep Space Nine's the best show. I have had multiple online listicles oh, and rankings that God. have verified my position on this subject. That yes, and you wrote Next them. Generation at number two and uh, Frank, Deep Space Nine at number one. Frank, that was parody bullshit because everyone knows Deep Space Nine <laughs> is hot garbage and TNG. Uh, TNG is very good. Deep Space Nine is excellent television. That's not what I want from Star Trek. Excellent television. You episodes like this that you hated. <laughs> yeah, goofy shit that makes me angry and punch you at a wall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. God, that, that Mexican guy character, what were they thinking? I'll tell you what they were thinking. Hey, this is a Western thing. Let's put a Mexican in there. Let's make it look like fucking Speedy Gonzalez. Yeah. Let's just do that. Well, do you remember the first season TNG episode um, with the African yeah. tribesmen, aliens? Yeah. That was not so good. What was that one called? Uh, Code of Honor. Yes. Yes. Was yeah. that before or after the Amazon planet? Before, before, but the Amazon planet was very soon after. I believe the order of episodes went the first uh, pilot, which is okay, solid. It's a little... It's pretty good. Uh, second episode, uh, they're all horny. They're fucking... Third episode, racist. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Fourth episode was sexist. It gets, it gets better. <laughs> it does. It gets better when Gene Roddenberry dies. Yeah, fuck that guy. He literally has to die. He's not a, not a great man, as I hear. No. Wasn't there a thing where people um, postulated that he was the one who sexually assaulted um, the ensign from the first season of the original series? The one with the beehive I hairdo think, that never came back? I think so. Yeah. Well, well, now this, I'm is a, this is a bummer. bummer. God. <laughs> it's a bummer. Uh, yeah, but he was not a good dude. Uh, fuck Gene Roddenberry. Fuck Gene Roddenberry. Thank you for your wonderful television that we love. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Let's move on. We could wax rhapsodic about uh, Star Trek until the end of time. Uh, let's quickly. This is a long record. <laughs> uh, do some it recommendations. Is, three hours. Now we're two hours. Now yeah. we're gonna recommend a thing. And it's stuff you like a lot. You'll see. Yes, you'll see.
Was that like a Negro spiritual? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> cut it out. Cut it out. <laughs> I want to recommend uh, one of the most beautiful and strange uh, television shows I've ever seen. Uh, the Leftovers. Um, it's an incredible uh, uh, sort of like Deadwood. Um, uh Kind of a character study of of people who were left who are left behind after uh, a rapture like event uh, takes two percent of the population. Um, it goes into very strange places. Um, it is uh, dark and harrowing. And a an exploration of loss and love and um, and coping and moving on, um, and it's supremely watchable. I didn't watch it for the longest time because I thought it was going to be super super heavy, but it's it balances uh, drama and kind of comedy and just strangeness throughout. And it is a very rewarding, uh, watch and experience. I love it very, very much. I'm very excited to start watching that because I never had, and it stars one of my favorite actors, uh, ninth doctor himself, Christopher Eccleston. He's amazing in it. It's an incredible cast. Justin Thoreau, Amy, uh, Brenneman, uh, uh, Liv Tyler, right? Liv Tyler is great in it. Um, uh, Carrie Coon is amazing uh, in the show. Um, uh, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited to watch that. Tom. Well, okay. Well, thanks for that fucking rapturous uh, review. Rapturous. Yeah, finger guns. <laughs> Someday I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna win the recommendation segment. That day is not today because I'm gonna recommend a Netflix <laughs> original series, uh, a very secret service. Uh, it's a, a French show uh, that's. Uh, I watch it for the purposes of learning French, but these are also pretty great, fun shows to watch. This one is basically a, a live action version of Archer. It's like Archer, and uh, it's sort of like a. A 1960s spy thriller, but it's a parody. It's a comedy. I think I've heard of this. Yeah, it's it's making around. It's pretty. It's like Archer, except if Archer's only quality was his handsomeness, and in every other way, he's just a hapless dipshit. Right. Uh, Yeah. And it's pretty funny. Uh, uh, What's the tone like? Is it like is it like an Austin Powers or is it? Uh, well, no, no, it's not like an Austin Powers. It's it's not goofy. The, the, the comedy isn't goofy. It's sort of like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of something comparable. Um, uh, it, it is silly. It's aware of itself. It's not like a workplace comedy, uh, but it, it doesn't, it never gets to Mel Brooks territory. There's, um, it's just goofy. And, and, and another thing is the tone is very French. Okay. They have different comic sensibilities and they fr- do. Yeah. It's, there's a. It's a learning curve that like a I prostitute don't... farting in the in the Pope's mouth. <laughs> Their comic sensibilities are really broad, and you think that as Americans, our sensibilities are broad, but theirs are very broad. Mm. It's kind of it's a learning curve. I don't want to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. They fucking love Jerry Lewis. 
<laughs> Dude. Like, yeah, mugging is a, a bigger deal to them. Yeah. Uh, I'm finding from my very limited experience. But uh, yeah, it's enjoyable. It's fun. It's cheap. Short episodes. Um, yeah. Uh, a very secret service or uh, what is it? Au service de la France uh, in French. All right. Nice. Frankie? Uh, I am going to recommend the Paul Schrader film Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters which is the biographical film about the life of Yukio Mishima, uh, the Japanese Nobel laureate uh, from the 20th century, uh, who was a novelist who um, became a severe fascist uh, over the course of his life. And he wrote many, many beautiful, wonderful novels, uh, including things like uh, Sound of Waves. Um, and uh, he, he was... A person who, who led a very contradictory life. He was too sickly to serve in World War II, and he very much wanted to die. He wanted to be a kamikaze as a young man, um, but he was too frail to, to do so. Um, so he devoted his life to bodybuilding and being becoming the apex of his physical form, and he also devoted his political life to uh, venerating what he saw were traditional Japanese values. Uh, which included the reinstallment of the emperor as the head of state of Japan, uh, which, uh, in case anybody didn't know, would drive Japanese political culture further into fascism than it already is without the emperor as the head of state. Because uh, imperial Japan is one of the most brutally monstrous regimes in modern history. Um, so, no, keep you can go. I was, that's true. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we're, uh, we're not aware of this fact enough. We're like, oh, Germany, pff, oh, watch out for them. But yeah. we're just like, yay, that egg that can't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, uh, what was that, what's that egg's name? I think his name is Manchuria. <laughs> I think his name is <laughs> yeah. Nanking. Um, yeah, ask anybody in China or Korea about Imperial Japan. Well, uh, say, great. Justin's having the weirdest <laughs> reaction to that joke I just made. <laughs> um, so the, this film by Paul Schrader seeks to make sense of a very contradictory life. Uh, on the one hand, he was this beautiful, empathetic artist and novelist. On the other, he was this clearly insane fascist who, um, at the last day of his life, um, uh, took his private militia that he had formed and attempted to overthrow the Japanese government and reinstall the emperor as the head of state. Uh, and he uh, kidnapped the general of a Japanese military garrison and made a speech in front of the military, uh, which they did not listen to and just made fun of him the whole time. Uh, his last words were, I don't even think they were listening to me before he committed ritual seppuku. Wasn't he in- very good mm-hmm. friends with Akira Kurosawa? Or I think Toshiro Mifun? He might have been. He might have been friends with Toshiro Mifun. I think that's the case. I think they were buddies. Um, so he, at the end of his life, commits ritual seppuku, which involves disemboweling yourself before you get your head cut off. Pretty bad way to go. Um, but the movie tries to make sense of his life by doing, in the middle of like a, a, a cornucopia of flashbacks that are shot in black and white, uh, present day, which is the last day of his life, shot in a sort of drab color uh, with dramatizations like Brechtian uh, uh, theatrical dramatizations of his novels, connecting the work of his novels with his sort of neurosis and insanity 
Um, like there's a novel that he wrote where a character commits seppuku. There's a novel that he wrote about fascism and sadomasochism and bisexuality because um, for as much as he venerated traditional Japanese values, he was also a, a bisexual man, but he never admitted to it in his life. He was just kind of his wives just found him in gay bars a lot. Um, so he was a man of many contradictions who was also deeply insane, but a great artist. And the only person I could think of who would make sense of that kind of a figure is Paul Schrader, uh, who is also many things, probably a little bit insane, but also a great artist uh, in his own right. And the movie makes sense of his unique psychology in a very interesting way. So Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. Nice. Nice. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're distracted because my cat opened my door, stuck his head in, saw what was happening, and slowly <laughs> backed out. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. There you have it. Hey, hey, you fucks out there, you cunts and cocksuckers. <laughs> Listen up. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Our Gmail's the same. Plaid Lads Pod. Um, I'm Justin. Uh, I'm welcome to to wonderfalls.bandcamp.com. Some things that made me cry. Instagram. Uh, uh, also welcome underscore two underscore wonderfalls for my personal Instagram, and then Play It Lads Pod Instagram. We love you all, Tom. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do the musics, and uh, it's called uh, Elbow Ache, like an elbow that hurts, and it's on Instagram, Elbow Ache Music, it's on Spotify, please listen to it a bunch, on mute, whatever, so I can get that fraction of a penny. Uh, check social media to see where I'm playing, because come see me if you want. Uh, yeah, uh, elbowache.bandcamp.com, and search on Spotify and all that stuff. Frank? Uh, yeah, at Frank McDevitt on Twitter.com. Uh, my current username is EB Farnham fan account because nice. Justin and I talked about how much we love EB Farnham from Deadwood. Nice. Um, don't really have much other material to promote because I am not a creative person in most aspects of my life. Except for that, except for that drawer, that yes. drawer on your desk that's under lock and key where there's a bottle of scotch, yeah, a revolver. <laughs> Yeah, and the only copy of your screenplay, yes. and a for, uh, formaldehyde jar with a heart in it, and we don't know what kind of heart it is. Probably a dead person's heart. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you cunts and cocksuckers! <laughs> um, r- rate us and review us on. Uh, Talk about us on iTunes, please. Please, dear God, do we need it. it. We need it. If you review us, you will be a guest on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Uh, my own girlfriend, Alexandria Einspar, please review us on iTunes so that I can bring you on the show. <laughs> it's only going to happen if you review. Hi, Alex. It's going to be anyway. Our Australian fan? Yes. Hey. Review us so we can bring you in. Oi. <laughs> no. Shrimp on the barbie. Uh <laughs> Guy in Tunes in, on Route 73. Hey, Tunes guy, what are Come you on. doing? Why We saw you play live. You're a great drummer. A great drummer. Awesome music, man. Right Come on, on our show. Uh... You're a Best Show fan. That's me and you, baby. Hey, dude. Probably Worcester for life. We uh, Hey, hey, uh, um, Jeremy. <laughs> Apparently, Frank knows you. I saw on on Facebook. Which Jeremy? Silver. Holy shit. You know him? 
Yeah, I went to school with him my whole life. Oh, he's our, our friend Subo's best friend. <laughs> okay, I have known this guy for almost my entire life. <laughs> Come on, Jeremander. Hey, Jeremy, I know you're not listening, and there's no Jeremy. reason I would think you would be hearing this, but review us. Jeremy, I have known you since I was literally a little baby child. Uh, you got me to read the Wheel of Time series when we were in middle school. Do you remember that, Jeremy? And do you remember you and Yasek getting me to read uh, Wheel of Time? I don't think you do. Glad you went to Princeton, buddy. Uh, how are you? How you doing? It's been about 15 years since I've talked to you. <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, let's all, uh, Michael Tidemary, my childhood uh, best friend, three doors down. Uh, uh, I hear that uh, while I've been away at work at various points in my 20s that uh, you've driven to the old neighborhood and were looking for me to reconnect after all these years. And I was like, oh, thank God I was at work because nothing against you personally, but I don't know. I, that just kind of freaks me out a little bit. But if you hear this for some reason, give us five <laughs> review stars. Us. Hey, review us and be a guest. Hey, John Hayes, I know we haven't talked in a long time. We were best friends in kindergarten. And then we briefly reconnected in middle school. I don't know if you're still alive, but review us. Reggie Atkins, my best friend in third grade. And then we both turned into slacker fuck-ups, and then we were in honors chemistry together, and we just fucked around and got, like, Ds. Hey, Brett Miller, thanks for the review. <laughs> review. Yeah, thanks. We're going to have you on the show. <laughs> See, it works, people. Ryan Worley, my best friend in middle school, come on the show. Come on the show, Ryan Worley. We were best friends for three years. Linda, Linda, come back. <laughs> Baby, come back. Linda, I still have the dog. He's so you old can go now. You your own way. <laughs> All right. Anyway, folks, what are we doing next week? Legitimately, what are we doing next week? We, I don't remember. We have no idea. We'll we gotta, figure it out. We'll let you know. All right. Ch -ch -ch we'll talk about it over text, and it will be a surprise. Yes. This will be the longest fucking episode in history. All right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right, bye. I love you, you cunts and bye. cocksuckers. Goodbye. Goodbye. They say it on the show. That's why I'm saying those words. <laughs>